Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel and the legend of Brittany, the legend of the fairies of Brittany, the Margots. Another Breton name for the fairies is Les Margots Liffy, a title which is chiefly employed in several districts of Côtes du Nord, principally in early sentiments of Saint Brouk and Laudiac, to describe those fairies who have their abode in large rocks and on the wild and extensive moorlands which are so typical of the country. These, unlike the fey holes, are able to render themselves invisible at pleasure. Like human beings, they are subject to maladies and are occasionally glad to accept mortal succour. They return kindness for kindness, but are vindictive enemies to those who attempt to harm them. But fairy vindictiveness is not lavished upon those unwitting mortals who do them harm alone. If one chances to succeed in a task set by the immortals of the forest, one is in danger of death, as the following story shows. The boy who served the fairies. A poor little fellow was one day gathering faggots in the forest, when a gay, handsomely dressed gentleman passed him, noticing the lad's ragged and forlorn condition, said to him, What are you doing there, my boy? I'm looking for wood, sir, replied the boy. If I did not to do so, we would have no fire at home. You're very poor at home, then, asked the gentleman. So poor, said the lad, that sometimes we only eat once a day and often go supperless to bed. That is a sad tale, said the gentleman. If you will promise to meet me here within a month, I will give you some money, which will help your parents and feed and clothe your small brothers and sisters. Prompt to the day and the hour, the boy kept the tryst in the forest glade, at the very spot where he had met the gentleman. But though he looked anxiously on every side, he could see no signs of his friend. In his anxiety, he pushed further into the forest and come to the borders of a pond, where three damsels were preparing to bathe. One was dressed in white, another in grey, and a third in blue. The boy pulled off his cap, gave them good day, and asked them politely if they had not seen a gentleman in the neighbourhood. The maiden who was dressed in white told him where the gentleman was to be found, and pointed out a road by which he might arrive at his castle. It will ask you, said she, to become his servant, and if you accept, he will wish you to eat. The first time that he presents the food to you, say, it is I who should serve you. If he asks you a second time, make the same reply. But if he should press you a third time, refuse brusquely and thrust away the plate which he offers you. The boy was not long in finding the castle, and was at once shown into the gentleman's presence. As the maiden dressed in white foretold, he requested the youth to enter his service, and when his offer was accepted, placed before him a plate of viands, the lad bowed politely but refused the food. A second time it was offered, but he persisted in his refusal, and when it was proffered the third time, he thrust it away, from him so roughly that it fell to the ground and the plate was broken. Ah, said the gentleman, you are just the kind of servant I require. You are now my lacquery, and if you are able to do three things that I command you, I will give you one of my daughters for your wife, and you shall be my son-in-law.
The next day, he gave the boy a hatchet of lead, a sort of paper and a wheelbarrow made of oak leaves. Bidding him fell, bind, him, bind up, and measure all the wood in the forest within a radius of seven leagues. The new servant at once commenced his task, but the hatchet of lead broke at the first blow, the sort of paper buckled at the first stroke, and the wheelbarrow of oak leaves was broken by the weight of the first little branch he placed in it. The lad in despair sat down and could do nothing but gaze at the useless implements. At midday, the damsel dressed in white, whom he'd seen at the pond, came to bring him something to eat. Alas, she cried, why do you sit thus idle? If my father should come and find you, have done nothing, he will kill you. I cannot do anything with such wretched tools, grumbled the lad. Do you see this wand, said the damsel, producing a little rod. Take it in your hand and walk round the forest, and work will take care of itself. At the same time, say these words, let the wood fall, tie itself into bundles, and be measured. The boy did as the damsel advised him, and matters proceeded so satisfactory that, by a little after midday, the work was completed. In the evening, the gentleman said to him, Have you accomplished your task? Yes, sir. Do you wish to see it? The wood is cut and tied into bundles the proper way to measurement. It is well, said the gentleman. Tomorrow I will set you a second task. On the following morning, he took the lad to a knoll, some distance from the castle, and said to him, You see this rising ground? By this evening you must have made it, a garden well planted with fruit trees, and having a fish pond in the middle, where ducks and other waterfowl may swim. Here are your tools. The tools were a pick of glass, a spade of earthenware. The boy commenced the work, but at the first stroke his fragile pick and spade broke into a thousand fragments. For the second time he sat down helplessly. Time passed slowly, and as before at midday the damsel in white brought him his dinner. So I find you once more with your arms folded, she said. I cannot work with a pick of glass and an earthenware spade, complained the youth. Here is another wand, said the damsel. Take it and walk round this knoll, saying, Let the place be planted and become a beautiful garden with root trees, in the middle of which is a fish, fish pond. In it, ducks will be swimming. The boy took the wand, did as he was bid, and the work was speedily accomplished. A beautiful garden arose as if by enchantment. Well furnished with fruit trees of all descriptions and ornamented with a small sheet of water. Once more his master was quite satisfied with the result. On the third morning set him his third task. He took him beneath one of the towers of the castle. Behold this tower, he said. It is a polished marble. You must climb it and at the top you will find a turtle dove which you must bring me. The gentleman, who was of opinion that the damsel in white had helped his servant in the first two tasks, sent her to the town to buy provisions. When she received this order, the maiden retired to her chamber and burst into tears. Her sisters asked her what was the matter, and she told them that she wished to remain at the castle, so they promised to go into town for her instead. At midday, she found the lad sitting at the foot of the tower, bewailing the fact that he could not climb its smoothly and glassy sides. I've come to help you once more, said the damsel. You must get a cauldron, then cut me into morsels and throw it in all my bones, throw in all my bones without missing a single one. It is the only way to succeed. Never, exclaimed the youth. I would sooner die than harm such a beautiful lady as you. Yet you must do as I say, she replied. For a long time the youth refused, 
but at last he gave way to the maiden's entreaties, cut her into little pieces and placed the bones in a large cauldron, forgetting, however, the little dove left foot. Then he rose as if by magic to the top of the tower, found the turtle dove, came down again. <clears throat> Having completed his task, he took a wand which lay beside the cauldron, and when he touched the bones, they came together again, and the damsel stepped out of the great pot, none the worse for her experience. When the young fellow carried the dove to his master, the gentleman said, It is well. I shall carry out my promise and give you one of my daughters for your wife. But all three shall be veiled, and you must pick the one you desire without seeing her face. The three damsels were then brought into his presence, but the lad easily recognised the one who had assisted him because she lacked the small toe of her left foot. So he chose her without hesitation, and they were married. But the gentleman was not content with the marriage. On the day of the bridal, he placed the bed of the young folks over a vault and hung it from the roof by four cords. When they had gone to bed, he came to the door of the chamber and said, Son-in-law, are you asleep? No, not yet, replied the roof. Sometime afterward, he repeated this question and met with a similar answer. The next time he comes, said the bride, pretend that you are sleeping. Shortly after that, his father-in-law asked once more if he were asleep and receiving no answer, retired, evidently well satisfied. When he had gone to the bride, made her husband rise at once, go instantly to the stable, she said, and take there the horse which is called Little Wind, mount him and fly. The young fellow hastened to comply with her request, and he had scarcely left the chamber when the master of the castle returned and asked if his daughter were asleep. She answered no, and bidding her arise and come with him, he cut the cords so that the bed fell into the vault beneath. The bride now heard the trampling of hoofs in the garden outside and rushed out to find her husband in the act of mounting. Stay, she cried. You have taken great wind instead of little wind as I advised you. But there is no help for it. And she mounted behind him. Great wind did not belly his name and dash into the night like a tempest. And do you see anything, asked the girl? No, nothing, said her husband. Look again, she said. Do you see anything now? Yes, he replied. I see a great flame of fire. The bride took her wand, struck it three times and said, I changed the great wind into a garden, myself into a pear tree, and my husband into a gardener. The transformation had hardly been effected when the master of the castle and his wife came up with them. Ha, ah, my good man, cried he to the seeming gardener. Has anyone on horseback passed this way? Three pairs for a sow,' said the gardener. "'That is not an answer to my question,' fumed the old wizard. "'For such he was. He really was.' "'I asked if you had seen anyone on horseback in that direction.' "'Far for a sow, then, if you will,' said the gardener. "'Idiot,' formed the enchanter, and dashed on in pursuit. "'The young wife then changed herself, her horse and her husband, into their natural forms, "'and mounting once more, they rode onward.' Do you see anything? asked she. Yes, I see a great flame of fire, he replied. Once more she took a wand. I changed the steed into a church, she said. Myself into an altar, my husband into a priest. Very soon the wizard and his wife came to the doors of the church and asked the priest if a youth and a lady had passed. That way on horseback. Dominus Vobiscum, said the priest. And nothing more could the wizard get from him. Pursued once more, the young wife changed the horse into a river, herself into a boat, her husband into a boatman. When the wizard came up to them and asked, 
to be ferried across the river. The boat at once made room for them, but in the middle of the stream, the boat capitized. The enchanter and his wife were drowned. The young lady and her husband returned to the castle, seized the treasure of its fairy lord, and says tradition, lived happily ever afterward. And all young spouses do in such fairy tales. Mm. I do believe that we have definitely, um, what's the word, had stories very similar to this, and it's usually how they go like that. You see, you make a bargain with a fairy, there is always, what can I say, a villainous way, a treacherous way they can get you. One way or another. Unless you have the help of a fairy friend, of course. No, no, it's different. Thank you so much for listening. When we come back, we're going on to the demonic beings and the sprites of Brittany. Many blessings. <laughs>